Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the parenting and sexuality episode. Our guest is Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. Hi, Dr. Tina. Hi. Hi. So we have some mutual friends we were talking about. Um, I'm so glad to finally meet you. Um, I wish I found your work years ago, so we're going to dive right in. You can find Dr. Tina shameless.com you can find tina shermersellers.com you're on instagram at dr tina shameless and also on instagram at so is it nw institute on intimacy or northwest okay yep nw institute on intimacy okay so we're going to talk about shame and parenting and sexuality you were telling me right before we started and before we get too far away from it what is the northwest institute on intimacy what do you do yeah so we started in 2015 and we're one of a handful of asect uh ce providers that trains physicians therapists clergy um, coaches, educators in sexual health and understanding your sexual bias. And for those who do treat sexual dysfunction on treating sexual dysfunction, just because, yeah, you know, we don't get that training in grad school. And actually most people who go see somebody, whether it's a medical provider or a behavioral health provider, they actually think that people are trained biopsychosocially, spiritually, and sexually. They think they can kind of handle all of their life. And the reality is they're not. Mm-hmm. And um, and so a lot of people are seeing providers who mean well, for sure, um, but really never got sex ed in their own life because mm-hmm. we haven't had it here in the United States for over 40 years. And they didn't get it in grad school either. So they're kind of functioning straight from a lot of their own assumptions. So mm-hmm. our goal, as is the goal of many of the other training programs in the country, we just didn't have any on the really any on the West Coast, was to, is to get, um, prov- to really to raise the bar in the fields of medicine and psychotherapy and education so that people are better cared for. Mm-hmm. So those fields you mentioned, you said clergy, doctors, coaches. So those people tend to interact with children and... Mm-hmm families and their parents. So that seems hugely relevant. Mm-hmm. So, right. And they're also the people that, um, adults or adolescents will often go to asking for that guidance and they're not trained. <laughs> my sex ed teacher in, I think it was seventh grade was also my, uh, PE teacher. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was not, to my benefit, (laughs) (laughs) Um, awkward and embarrassing. Um, All right. So you're a psychotherapist. You are a bestselling author, uh, your keynote speaker. You're the founder and medical director of the Northwest Institute on Intimacy. Um, What else? What did I miss? What else? You have a lot of interest. You're very busy. (laughs) Well, like you, I'm certified with ASECT and I'm also an ASECT supervisor. So Mm -hmm. I do quite a lot of clinical training 
you know, like people will come to me around their cases and because ASIC of course requires you to do so much supervision. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of clinical supervision as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so for everyone who hasn't been through the program, so ASEC is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. You've probably heard me refer to them on the show before. And then a supervisor. So when I was training to become hopefully certified, I was under the supervision of someone like Dr. Tina, who knows more than me. So happy to be here. Why did you choose the work that you do? Because this is so broad. Yeah, I, I actually really love that question. And and I say at one place on my website, website where I'm talking about myself, I say, I feel like I never chose it, but I was always meant to do it. Hmm. Um, I was raised in a Swedish immigrant home that was very sex positive and body positive. And we talked about sexuality like you would talk about recipes or brushing your teeth or the things you needed to do. Or just, I mean, it, it really was a part of everyday conversation. And it wasn't just with my parents. It was my grandparents and my great aunts. And wow. it was really a common conversation. And I didn't realize until I was probably in my early 30s that I grew up in a weird family. <laughs> I just <laughs> thought that's how everybody's family kind of was. And I hadn't really noticed that I had been sort of a lay sex educator to my friends. I just mm. it didn't really dawn on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, my very first job is teaching junior high in a high school and uh, they had sexuality in the, in the science curriculum or that's, you were supposed to teach it. And I was so thrilled mm-hmm. to be teaching adolescents about sexuality. And I was teaching at a private school. So I was really given free reign wow. to develop and, and keep a secret question box that we could look at. Every week I loved yeah. the secret question box for folks who don't know. They can probably kind of figure out what that is, but it's like yeah. this way you write down your question and it's anonymous before the internet. Right. right. Yeah. Those are my and favorite. It was so fun. It was really so fun. And again, still I hadn't realized why I liked it. And then I, I, went and got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And then I was invited to teach in the program that I had just graduated from. And they actually needed somebody to teach their human sexuality course, which is a required course to become licensed. Um, You need to take at least one course. That's really the minimum. It's one course. And nobody else on my faculty wanted to teach it. And I was leaping out of my chair. (laughs) And then I started to kind of begin to put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pattern yeah. here. Yeah, there's a pattern here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and then it really solidified a little later in my career when I had been teaching the class since the early 90s. And I retired from that position in 2019. So I did it for quite a long time. And somewhere around the year 2000, I would have my students write their sexual autobiography. And mm. a lot of people will hear that and they'll think, oh my God, I could never commit my sexual story to paper. Mm. But you know, when you're becoming a therapist, you really want, if you go see a therapist, you want to know that they know where their story begins and ends and your story as the client begins and ends. And Part of doing that is actually becoming familiar with the different aspects of your story. Well, in America, people's stories aren't often in a cohesive narrative because they'll remember, oh, I got in trouble at five for playing doctor with my neighbor or, mm-hmm. oh, I remember my first kiss or, oh, you know, I was assaulted here, whatever. Right. And it's not a cohesive narrative. Mm-hmm. And so 
I would tell them this is so that you can become familiar with what's living in your body because it's there and it's going to manifest itself when you're sitting with somebody and they trigger you. Mm. So I would give them like 70 questions and I'd say, I don't want you to answer every one. I want you to notice the arc of what I'm asking you and then write it. Mm. And um, so I started reading these in the early 90s and right around the year 2000, I noticed this dramatic shift that happened where... The kids, no kids, you know, I'm, I'm older, <laughs> in their 20s and often, and they're describing um, the, a very similar st- story. You know, it's, it's not mm-hmm. grossly different or whatever than the stories I had been reading. But all of a sudden, they were referring to themselves as perverted, oh. as nasty, as shame. You know, awful. There's so much shame. And then they also <clears throat> seem to have lost the awareness of normal sexual development, like how that moves over time. Mm. So these normal things that they were doing, masturbation, whatever, mm-hmm. um, they were really hating themselves for. And I just didn't know what had happened in culture. Like, what what did I miss? And so it took me about three years to ask a few more questions and talk to more in depth with some students. And I realized I was hitting the first wave of students that went through abstinence only. (gasps) And for those that were involved in conservative church, evangelical movement, it was those that were exposed to the beginning of the purity movement. Wow. And they were manifesting, oh, this is what's so crazy to me. They were manifesting symptoms that looked exactly like somebody who had suffered childhood sexual abuse. Oh, wow. All that same kind of self-hatred, the mm-hmm. um, blaming that they were doing of themselves, mm-hmm. um, sexual dysfunction issues, and they're in their 20s. Mm-hmm. I had never seen it before. Wow. And um, I thought, oh my gosh, something's been going on. Somebody needs to talk about it. And so I really... Because I was teaching at a religiously based school, that grad school was a little independent from that. But um, because of that, about half my students came from Mm -hmm. a conservative religious background. And um, so I said, I decided to just really go after what what the church had been doing. (laughs) How did that go? I should do that. (laughs) Well, actually, somebody, I just started talking about it in talks that I was giving. Mm -hmm. And I got uh, an editor from a journal called the, um, oh gosh, it was the Journal of Theology and Culture, but I can't remember Mm -hmm. the first part of it. But anyway, Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. asked, this was back in 2006, and they asked me to write an article on what I was seeing. And I said, I think I don't know your readers well, but Ooh, yeah. you probably won't like what I have to say. I said, but I, I need to let you know that I'm not going to come at this from an expert position. I'm just going to tell you what I'm learning from mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So maybe you'll be hard, mad at me because this is just what I'm hearing. Right, and, right. And so I right. wrote a, an article called Christians Caught Between the Sheets, How an Abstinence-Only Ideology Hurts Us. And it went viral. Oh, I think <laughs> I've read that. Yeah, I actually heard from people in other countries, and they're say they were saying you're saying what nobody's been saying. Like you, you, you make me feel sane, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I said, okay, I've hit a nerve, and that's when I started doing really concentrated research on what had happened. Why was it this way? Had Christianity always been sex negative? Has America always been sex negative? Has there ever been anything on the Abrahamic line that was sex positive? Because some people, you know, can't go to the Eastern side of things. That's got a lot of sex positivity to it. Mm. So I I just wanted to ask that question because nobody else had asked it. 
Mm-hmm. And then over the meantime, it took me 11 years to write that first book. And um, I, I started working on a model to help heal sexual shame because I was seeing so much of it. And then I just put in the book sort of touch and non-touch practices that people could do if they wanted to try to integrate whatever spirituality was for them Mm -hmm. into touch Mm -hmm. um, and into just a relationship with their own body. And, um, and that's really when my, my career, I had been in medical family therapy and a lot in medicine training physicians and so forth. And I really started focusing much more on sexuality and sexual health. And I went and got my PhD. What a freaking roller coaster. God damn. Um, I'm so I'm looking at Christians caught between the sheets, how abstinence only ideology hurts us this. Yeah. April two, 2006. Was this before you were Dr. Tina? It was. Yeah, it was before I was Dr. Tina. And it really was the first uh, writing. It was the first person in the country to say that purity movement had caused um, and abstinence only had caused symptoms of sexual assault, sexual abuse yeah. in people's lives. And now, of course, and when the book came out in 2017, it was one of the first to come out. I think there'd maybe been two others where people talked about purity culture and abstinence education mm-hmm. um, before then. And now we have many, many, many books and many mm-hmm. people are, are saying it. They're saying this mm-hmm. was my experience. And it's really amazing. That's pretty cool. You were on the front lines of raising the flag. Um, and it seems like you were a little aware of that too, when you said, you know, you're not going to like what I've been observing is mm-hmm. essentially yeah. right. So uh, I'm just going to read like uh, two lines from this. It says, after over 10 years of teaching a graduate level human, human sexuality course at a Christian university and reading well over 300 sexual autobiographies, I am fascinated by why we as a Christian church, as parents, as sexual people don't challenge this view. More than 80% of the autobiographies I have read have told the same basic story. Um, okay, so we're going to get into it. So what kind of opposition have you encountered along the way or have you? You know, I didn't, I didn't encounter as much as I expected to, um, Mm -hmm. especially being where I was located. Uh, I had enormous, before I even sent that article in, I went to my chair and my Dean and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. How do you feel about it? I want to get your clearance before I do it. And they said, Mm -hmm. no, we really support you. I think that you're on. And so I was a little protected because I was in a graduate school because I had a very supportive Dean and chair. I was really protected. And it's, it's kind of funny. I think the administration tried to erase me in that I was never asked to to speak (laughs) to the undergrads their chapel or anything like that. And it would really would get asked if it was somebody that was away from the admin, you know, who was like in student, um, in student government or something or, or, or the office of security, you know, they would say, can you come speak on this? You know, <laughs> but so um, you, some people didn't like you, what your messaging or yeah, I think it would have been if I, if I had been highlighted in some way, it would have been very, it would raised red flags for the board of directors. Um, I think some of the people in admin might have been okay, but I think, you know, the board is, does a lot of the fundraising and the school that I taught at, which has been in the news and the national news lately was Seattle Pacific university, which, Hmm. uh, I don't know if you know, but they have, was that the prayer? No, that's the one where, um, the board voted to uphold their lifestyle agreement and to not support LGBTQ plus folks. 
just oh. about three months ago. And oh. um, every like, literally the faculty, the alumni, the current students um, were completely had, had actually already done it like a two year study on why they needed to change that. And they mm-hmm. completely blew off that. And so when graduation came, students who did not want to shake the hand of the interim president <gasps> handed I them a flag. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. I did see that. That went viral. It did. Okay. It did. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, my Mark God. Buffalo, he put it up yesterday. In fact, it made me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Washington, state yeah, of Washington. Washington. Okay. Yeah. That, that was one of my questions for, for listeners curious, like where about in the country? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we're a very progressive city, a very progressive state. We have a phenomenal pride parade that we were just in. Um, so it's so antithetical to the culture we have here. And, and mm-hmm. m- most people are really afraid of the future of that school because of that. Interesting. Okay. Well, I hope they're listening. Someone, someone up there is. Um, okay. So we're going to pivot a little bit and this is a very broad question, but in an, in like, just what do you think briefly, how can people or parents engage against sex negativity? What's like an easier way to show up for them? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. And, um, when I talked about healing sexual shame, I talked about healing the mess, the model for erasing sexual shame. And, and it was really four components, frame, name, claim, and aim. So frame is give yourself a scaffolding of real sex education so that you know what's been myth and what's fact from just your growing up. And then claim is learn to claim your body as good, no matter how it is. Our heredity determines much more about our shape than probably anything does. And yet we live in this horrible culture that runs its economy based on making people feel bad about who they are and how they look and what they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Just buy that $60 makeup palette that the Kardashians are selling. It'll change your life. I swear <laughs> you'll be one of them. That's Pisses me off. I know. Yeah. I know. Right. And the name is tell your story to somebody who's compassionate and empathic or a group of friends that are, because shame has a hard time living in the company of love and compassion and empathy. And mm. what people will find is that their story, really, no matter what it is, they're not alone, that there are a lot of people who have walked a very similar path. And it just feels so comforting to know you're not alone and nothing is wrong with you, you know? Mm. And, um, and then when we start doing those things, what we'll find we're slowly doing as we unravel our own shame and get clear about what's true is we'll start aiming for or shooting for a brand new legacy. And the exciting thing about sexuality is you can change the legacy that you came from in one generation, literally by doing that. And the, mm. the last book I wrote called Shameless Parenting, I wrote because I was hearing from so many parents that were saying... You know, I have kids now and I just don't want to do to them what was done to me, but I have mm-hmm. no idea what to do. Like everything mm-hmm. in my body reacts to what happened, but I don't have the the skills to move that forward in a different way. And so I thought healing your shame is one piece of the puzzle, working on that. But the other piece of the puzzle is having someone hold your hand and say, okay, birth to two, here's the behavioral tasks they're likely to be trying to accomplish. Emotional <laughs> tasks they're likely trying to accomplish. Here's the sexual curiosities they're likely to express. And this is how it might look. And then really mm-hmm. ask the parents a lot of questions like, how do you think that might be for you when that happens? If you mm-hmm. feel 
the activity in you, that's shame. You earned mm-hmm. that. But let's try to figure out and dismantle what that was. And and so I sort of walk parents through or caregivers through kind of a self-examination about what's happening in their body so that they can begin to heal. But then as they also are seeing, here's here's what kids do just naturally, they can also heal themselves that way too by going, mm. oh, I was probably normal when I did this. Oh, I was normal when I did this. And um, so it actually just holds their hand because it's divided into age groups that are like two and three years so that yeah. you have to be a little bit ahead. <laughs> I'm looking, so it's shameless parenting. Um, on your website, it says, want to know the normal stages of sexual development for your children? Download the free cheat sheet. I'm like, I do. <laughs> I already, my, mine's 10 and like I already kind of, um, I don't feel like I know as much as you, but I feel like I know a lot and I feel yeah. like I'm doing pretty well. But yeah. still, I was like, ooh, I want to. <laughs> yeah, I want to know. So I'm going to go there. Okay, so I'm looking at tinashermersellers.com. You're a great resource for so many things, parenting and sex ed. Um, so I have a question. I'm curious, language question. How do you refer to genitals or how do you teach people to refer to genitals? Is it genitals or is it private parts and why? I'm biased. I do genitals. Sure. Yeah, if you're wanting to talk about the regions, I do genitals too, but I really like to kind of step back and say to people, you know, we don't have any problem calling these things up here our eyes <laughs> or over here our ears or this thing in front of our face, our nose. Things have names because we want to understand with each other what we're saying and our genitals are the same and they actually are more complex than like calling the whole genital region of a female or somebody assigned female calling that a vagina like that's more accurate actually and it really helps for a little one to know all the wonderful parts that they have you know no matter what parts they have and so having those appropriate names helps them it's we, we might feel funny saying them because they were kept from us but they really need to not have any more power than elbows and noses and eyes and knees and wrists and all of it because mm-hmm. it's just another wonderful part of our body that we need to be glad we have. Mm-hmm. Yep. My vulva hurts. My mm-hmm. butthole itches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My labia is scraped. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I was laughing because I experienced resistance to this one. Um, I understand that people want to call their bodies what they want to call their bodies. But like when I hear someone say in the stripper dressing room that they like shaved their vagina, I'm just like, no, you no, you didn't. (laughs) I promise you, you didn't. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I have to keep my comments to myself quite often. Um, Okay. So thank you for clarifying. Yeah. And I, I, I encourage that. Um, I encourage that response from other people to um, my whole body is a private part. Like, don't touch me. It's <laughs> <laughs> a boundary here. <laughs> yeah, there is. I want a bubble. Um, okay. So I asked some of my Instagram followers. I am on Instagram still, hopefully by the time folks are hearing this at stripper writer. Okay. So I asked folks, what do you wish your parents had done differently? Mm -hmm. so i read you react we'll just go through some of these okay so right off the bat someone says not raised me in a cult oh yep yeah lots of extra baggage there for sure yeah yeah uh someone says giving me a chance and an education yes Uh uh-huh 
I think parents don't realize how protective an education is. It's so protective. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. You know? Yeah. Someone says, mine helped me understand masturbation and how to access tools for that so I could know myself and not be seeking pleasure from boys. It was amazing knowledge to have. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. There was a there was a study done in, in Sweden several years ago where they took a cohort of 13-year-old girls. Now, mind you, Sweden has comprehensive sex ed from kindergarten through 12th grade every year. Mm-hmm. Um and took this cohort and actually more focused on teaching them about their bodies, about all their genitals, about their clitoris, about how to masturbate, why pleasure was important, all of that. Then they followed the cohort through until they were in their early mid-20s and found out that these particular women, even more so than the general population, was more protective about who got to get close to them. Like they were just pickier. <laughs> <laughs> like a really interesting study. That's what I say. You know, just because I'm slutty doesn't mean I'm not picky. That's um, right. Just very sexually prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone says, I wish I'd been able to have more of a say about birth control. I was forced mm-hmm. onto one that was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, someone says, I wish they didn't push their own trauma on me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone says they treated sex and sexy like bad words, and it always made me feel weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you said about words having power. Yes. Um, someone says, I wish they had, ooh, gotten divorced when they realized it wasn't a viable relationship. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Same. Me too. Mm-hmm. Same. Mm-hmm. Um, someone says... Honestly, nothing. I feel so fucking lucky and grateful for that. That's good to hear. Oh, that is so. I love those stories. Yeah, I those exist. On one hand, and almost whatever thirty years of teaching, how right. many students I had that were like that? It's so right. rare. Yeah, I'm like, wow, that's great for you. Okay, now to the rest of us. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, sex education should have been an ongoing discussion. Someone says instead of one very very short talk. Mm. Yes. I have, a, I have something that is, is in probably both my books and it, it's just says, um, kids deserve 100 one minute conversations, not mm. one very painful 100 minute conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yep. I'm going to remember that one. Um, let's do a couple more of these and we'll take a break. Someone said, I wish that my parents had not told me what they thought when I asked if maybe I was a lesbian at 12. Mm. Dot, dot, dot. It did not help the queer imposter syndrome I experienced for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to guess the reaction was like, no. <laughs> right. That would be the worst thing that could happen. I mean, something really awful. So I used, I'm going to real quick take, tell a personal story. Um, I used one of those face filters on Instagram the other day. It gave me a mustache and I'm going through this whole like non-binary thing that I've been going through since I was five years old, but like I'm 35 years old. And I realized a couple of years ago when my partner died, like I want to live the way I actually want to look. So I cut all my hair off and threw it off a cliff. It was super like, wow. the, it was total like ritual, like life changing. The world is on fire. Okay. So, and I'm presenting more the way I want. Um, somebody accidentally called me, sir i know i was masked and like i live in cis 
safeness. So like for me, I was flattered at being mis, you know, misgendered, whatever. Anyway, I'm living my truth is what I'm saying. So I, I did a mustache thing. I sent it to my mom because I like antagonizing my mom because she, she tried, she tried, but, and so her reaction was, um, she didn't say that it was cute. She was like, uh, and I was like, nope, nope, that's not how we were. <laughs> I'm like, just tell me I'm cute. That's the right way to be supportive of your child, however they want to look. Yeah. And she was like, yeah. okay, okay. I was like, thank you. <laughs> you know, just because you don't want to see me with a mustache. What if I want to have a mustache, mommy? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You so, be you. <laughs> yeah, we have to raise our parents sometimes too. Oh my and, goodness. A lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of kids when you think about this particular generation, the generation like of your daughter, mm-hmm. I think kids are, many kids are growing up in really open environments in their school settings. So they're mm-hmm. reading books and they're seeing things on TV and they're hearing from their friends and they're coming home at 10 and 11 and saying, you know, I think I'm non-binary and pansexual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> their parents mm-hmm. are not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're going to see especially this generation feel like, wow, I know more than my parents. Mm-hmm. About oh, it's so exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. The other day my daughter was like, Oh, why is that person walking like that? They have like a chronic injury. It's a neighbor. And I was like, Oh, he, that's just how he walks. Like he hurt his leg. And she's like, well, how do you know? Is he, he, I'm like, well, he looks like a, and as soon as I was talking, I was like, Oh, here we go. I was like, well, he looks like a, a man. And she's like, well, he could he could still be a they they could be non-binary you just don't know mommy and i was like at that point i'm like okay i've done my job <laughs> exactly. you're doing brilliantly <laughs> yeah like you're right honey you're right you're right um cool so we're gonna talk about parenting stuff me too makes my heart glow with mm-hmm. dr tina Shermer sellers phd lmft csts all these fabulous letters psychotherapist uh, speaker writer founder and medical director of the northwest institute on intimacy my name is l stanger i am on stripperwriter.com and instagram at stripperwriter. this is the parenting and sexuality episode of they talk sex podcast Phew, summer is here and my vulva is sweaty and itchy and a little irritated. So I'm going to use the salve from Momotaro Apotheca and maybe take a nice cool bath with their oil as well. Try Momotaro Apotheca or Oshihana products. That's O-S-H-I-H-A-N-A or Momotaro Apotheca, M-O-M-O-T-A-R-O Apotheca. Dot com and use my Instagram handle, stripperwriter, for a discount. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. This is the parenting and sexuality episode. Our guest is Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. So let's go right into listener questions. Listener question one, how do I balance my 13-year-old's need for privacy and my need to inform them about safer sex slash love practices? Mm, Good question. Uh, I often will say to people that it is in a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old's job description 
to actually not want to talk about these things with you (laughs) or to think that is just too weird. Don't come near me, you know, to be an adolescent. I mean, they're fulfilling their job description and your job description is still to deliver it. So what I often will say is you want to think of yourself as a sound bite sex educator. Things are less than 60 seconds. They're Mm. super cool. And if possible, they're in the car when you're looking straight ahead or someplace that's a little less painful. And you you can start it with kind of a caveat that says, I know you don't want me to talk about this, but I got to give it to you. So I want you to hold your breath. I'm going to give you something in 60 seconds, but it's really important. And then you just deliver the thing, whatever it is. And what I learned from listening to students all of those years is they would say, When their parent did do that, even though they gave them a hard time, they are so glad that they did it. Mm. So that just taught me to not do things that are painful for your child, but actually continue to find ways to deliver the information. And there'll be little openings that happen, like when you're watching a show together or um, a movie or reading about something and you might that might be an opening for, oh, you know what this makes me think of? I just want to tell you something really quick, blah, you know, because um, there's a lot that goes with it. Like this person's question was, it was about sexuality and love and relationships. It's going to be around safety and boundaries and how do you know and how do you trust your gut and all kinds of things. There's a million kinds of conversations and you can just have them in little sound bite kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I, you're the second person who said, uh, <laughs> do it in the car. <laughs> The other was my friend, Dr. Evelyn Dacker. <laughs> that one. Yes, she's great. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. And that's actually what I have found in my own experience to be very true, where mm-hmm. I'm just like, hey, honey, um, I know you don't like talking about this, but I need to tell you about blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. 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 And um, it's a gift. it really is a gift to your child. You know, yeah. you just want, don't want to make it go on for 10 minutes or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I try to like, I mean, also like parents probably have learned this, but like, if you are going to have a child, like you're planning on it or you're pregnant right now, or you have a very small one, like it's so normal, I think, to embarrass each other. (laughs) Like (laughs) not on purpose. It just happens. You'll have awkward moments and stuff will come up that you just didn't anticipate. Um. I recently, the one that I navigated was, um, so I started having um, a partnered sex again. Well, I was, Mm -hmm. after my partner died, I was doing all kinds of things, but (laughs) I started bringing a person into my home and having sex Mm -hmm. with them in my bed again. Mm -hmm. And previously she and I had been co-sleeping. So Mm -hmm. one time after I'd been having sex regularly, she wanted to jump in the bed and I was like, no, 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 the bed's dirty. And then I had to explain why. And Mm -hmm. I felt myself at a crossroads of like creating some elaborate weird lie, Uh like, you know, or just being like, mommy had sex, there's bodily fluids in the Mm -hmm. bed that I don't want on you. And she was like, ew. (laughs) She's like, well, can you, first of all, she was like, with who? Uh, and I was like, oh, honey, <laughs> you go to your dad's house on the weekend. <laughs> like, I have yeah. friends you've never met, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, but it was cute. Her concern at the time was, um, I was like, well, I'm dating someone. And she's like, is it the person you've been texting with a lot? And I said, yeah. And she's like, you've only been talking with them for like a month. And I, I was <laughs> like, I said, actually, it's been four. 
Miss mm-hmm. Nine-Year-Old. And also, <laughs> tell me what you think is an appropriate amount of time for me to engage sexually with someone after I've started talking. And she like kind of stopped because she realized she didn't know. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> it was a great thing to ask her back. That's wonderful. Thank you. So it was an odd exchange, but now mm-hmm. it's definitely like we do co-sleep sometimes, but she'll be like, mm-hmm. mom, have you like done the laundry? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, honey. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can sleep in the bed tonight. Otherwise we sleep in her bed or the couch. Um, uh-huh. But like, that's just a parenting and sex thing. I didn't expect to ever think of navigating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, you did we it brilliantly. It sounds like. Thank you. Okay. And that she was showed up being completely herself too, which is lovely. Yes, right. And kids will do that, right? When they're not mm-hmm. compounded by shame. Right. And when they feel safe to express themselves. Yeah. So listener question two, um, if you can't offhand think of any, that's fine. We're going to look at a book list later. But this person asks, any book recommendations on talking about sex, inclusively, to read with a one to second grader? So like six, seven years yeah. old. Yeah. Um, so Corey Silverberg has a couple of different books that I adore, but for littles, littles, he has one that's called what makes a baby. (laughs) And the way that he wrote it, I don't know if it's a he or they wrote it is, um, it fits the story of however you came into the world, however you came into the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's just this lovely, story of connection and this is where babies come from you know kind of how it happens but doesn't gender anything mm-hmm. and so it's got these little figures in it that aren't um exactly human you know or whatever i mean i'm mm-hmm. probably it's cartoony it. oh no i have the book it's cute it's yeah, colorful it's cartoony. it's cartoony they're little blobby characters yeah 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 and so mm-hmm. i have a four-year-old and an 18-month-old grand granddaughters and I've had that book since the oldest one was born. Mm. We've been reading that book. So um, that's a great book. And I think anything that um, Melissa Carnegie is doing, you know, she has a book called um, sex talks to have with kids. That's, and she has a website and recommendations. And in my book, shameless parenting at the end of every age section, I give um, what at the time of that particular printing were the best what I thought of is some of the best or top um, books and websites to oh, go thank to. You. And then I, I try to update it every year. I need to update it now. So it's been a oh, year. So. Thank you. Okay. That's quite a lot of resources. All right. I hope people are happy with that because I sure am. Uh, listener <laughs> question three. Why, as an adult, do my parents think it's okay to comment on my body and what I wear? Uh, yeah. Um, probably because the world or culture that they've been in has given that permission. So there are many, um, at least in the United States, conservative religious environments where since about 1980, there was all kinds of what I think of as beyond enmeshed, almost incestuous involvement in people's sexual lives. You know, they would have accountability, quote unquote, accountability partners, um, parents felt that they could say and do anything and that it was protective and that that never really stopped. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, many of it was many people, it was done to them too. So they don't have a good sense of boundaries at all, but there Mm -hmm. hasn't been a good sense of boundaries in conservative environments. So sometimes people pick that up from there. Sometimes they just picked it up from something else in their 
particular mm-hmm. culture that just said, I, I get to comment on this. I get to say something about this. And certainly mm-hmm. around bodies, you know, we have an entire economy that's driven around telling people how their bodies ought to be. And so mm-hmm. I think many parents feel like, well, I, I'm only being protective of you to tell you what you should do or what you it's- should wear. It's interesting, um, and I think the word entitlement comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're my child, I'm in t- I'm allowed and entitled to mm-hmm. comment on you, which is really yeah. I think that was drilled into me. Mm-hmm. It's like an ownership, like culture mentality thing, yeah. right? Right, mm-hmm. and yeah. Also, I feel like as an adult child, this person who's writing the question, the way I would personally, if I had to set that boundary. And I don't think I have for a while. No, that's not true. Said it with my dad recently is really, it's just like, if you feel comfortable or able to say something like, Mm -hmm. I don't believe you should be entitled to comment on my body because it's not your body, even though I'm your child. That's right. That's lovely. Very clear. Yep. Yeah. Or something like that. And if you need to soften it, you can say, I love you. I appreciate that. You're probably thinking that you're being kind or loving doing this, but I need to let you know. Yeah, it doesn't make me feel good. It's not going to change. I, it's not in my power. I am who I am. I like myself this way. Whatever feels true to you. Yeah, we encourage you, uh, listener. Yeah. Okay, listener question four. Okay, so I just write these down the way they're written, unless I really need to try to clarify. And if I can't reach back to the person, I'll assume the word she used here made me laugh. Listener question four, as a mom, how do I discuss wanking and sexual <laughs> health slash cleanliness with my son? Well, maybe, maybe don't call it wanking. Yeah. I mean, right. I don't know. Whatever feels good in your household, maybe, but I would say masturbation. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, or just pleasuring yourself, you know, pr- providing pleasure for yourself using um, the parts that you have, whatever you're referring to. Um, Self-touch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just... Um, and, and as far as cleanliness goes, the way that, I mean, I was having this conversation with the four-year-old, my granddaughter, not all that long ago, because we had been watching a movie and she had a blanket over her and she was touching mm-hmm. herself Fiddling. while we watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then later she says, my fingers smell. And ah, I remember doing this as a child. Yeah. And I said, well, that's because you have different scents in different parts of your body. And really, most of your body is perfectly clean. The only part that I would say has maybe more germs is the area closest to your anus where the poop comes out. Mm-hmm. And so if you're smelling that kind of smell, it'd probably be good to go wash your hands because mm-hmm. that's the part of our body where waste comes out, like mm-hmm. part that our bodies don't need anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just you know, pleasuring yourself. It's, I mean, I often say, you know, we have these parts on our body so that they're with us all the time. And that's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to go looking for them when we need to pleasure ourselves. We just need to find a private place. And kids can learn about privacy by the time they're four. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between a public space and a private space? But touching themselves is a wonderful way to calm themselves, to manage mm-hmm. anxiety, mm-hmm. to feel good, to be connected to their bodies, to not be all up in their heads. You know, and we just need to teach them how to do it in a way that doesn't cause them to get teased or, you know, it's more what we would mm-hmm. think of as socially appropriate. 
Mm-hmm. So I am an autistic adult and I learned that it's really more common for autistic kids to self-touch because they're self-stimulating, they're stimming, they're yeah. trying to settle down, especially mm-hmm. if you're overwhelmed by your environment. So mm-hmm. I was a genital toucher in preschool to where mm-hmm. it was very embarrassing because they didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So, you know, I got a little bit of shame and I've always been a genital toucher. And I say now as an adult, I masturbate sometimes three times a day just to calm myself down and be productive. Right. And I don't have any shame about it now. Um, But so I I just feel like some listeners might not have known all of that. And I like to bring that up. So, right. When um, our child started, when we started noticing that she was exploring that area with her hands more, she was like four. And Mm -hmm. I definitely... I remember I told her it was just like, hey, honey, if you're going to touch your genitals, you can do it in the privacy of your bedroom and please wash your hands after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she went straight to her room and shut the door. And I texted her father and I was like, she's she's masturbating. And he was like, ha ha. <laughs> like it happened. <laughs> yeah. We're very yeah. sex positive. Yeah. Household yeah, apparently. So great. Um, and I know that that whole exchange just would be so cringe and unusual for a lot of people who could never mm-hmm. talk about it. And that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yet, you know, what do we have? I think research is like 98% of people assigned male and over 80% of those who are assigned female. I mean, it's a common part of living a human life and. Oh, masturbating. Yeah. Oh yeah. Self-pleasure. Yeah. And, and so we need to try to work to come to a place where we are more comfortable talking about it, just like we would talk about you know, you might want to put shoes on if you're going to be walking on the gravel or, you know, just whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just part of life. Mm-hmm. Hey, Elle, where did you train to be a sex educator? I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet sexual wellness education and enlightenment training it's about half the price of their regular program and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand you can take it online you can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on on demand programs you can check out their other classes too Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. This is the parenting and sexuality episode. Long overdue, actually. I should have done this one in the first season because I get so many questions about this stuff, like on social Mm -hmm. media or in person. Like, what's a book? What's an article? What's a podcast? And I'm like, go here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so I'm Elle Stanger, your host. I'm talking to Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. Ooh, I can announce that uh, the Willamette Week in Portland, Oregon, which is our reader, um, print and online, announced their best of Portland and They Talk Sex podcast was the best Portland podcast. So thank you for listening and voting. I'm not supposed to say anything until July 13th. So woo, you heard it here first. Yeah. So thanks for being here, folks. Please rate or review us on your listening app, uh, especially on Apple. We love those five-star reviews. Oh my gosh, helps more people find us so we can share all of this knowledge and self-help. So I want to do one more listener question and then we're going to talk about some more books and sex ed and parenting, of course. Um, 
This is kind of a broad one, Dr. Tina. Mm -hmm. Listener question, how do I explain to my kid about other people's parenting choices? Gosh, you know, I think you just do that. I mean, really, it's like, you know, you know how, you know, often tell it in the type of a story or this is, this is what I often did. We've got four kids now who are in their thirties. And, um, but I would say, I can remember seeing this when they were pretty young, just starting school because our family was raising kids in a very European kind of way. So I would say, you know how we're really comfortable talking about this or, you know how we do mm. this or that in our family. Well, not all families are like us and some families feel really uncomfortable about this or some families do a lot of telling their children exactly what to do all the time or whatever. And just different families are different and it's part of what makes the world colorful. Um, and it's just good to assume that you know, someone's family is not exactly like yours and to be curious about their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might also, you know, sometimes if it was around sexuality would say, you may notice that some people will be uncomfortable if you use this word or that word. And that's because mm-hmm. in our family, it's a very common, normal part of life, but in some families it actually isn't, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when my daughter was your daughter's age, um, 10, a little bit older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, um, was invited to go visit a family in France and their daughter came over here for a little while. And I remember preparing her for going and saying, you're going to notice probably that a lot of the kids that are your age, um, a lot of the girls are not wearing tops necessarily. And that's because bodies are just seen as good and normal. And you don't really, there's not an encouragement to cover them up until you're in puberty. Huh. So I want you to know that you might see that, but you don't have to do that if you don't want to, but you certainly can if you want to, too, because different cultures are different. So it's just, I think, helping them have a context for how you are um, similar and or different to other families in the community. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that works. I'm just thinking of like <laughs> one time uh, Bird told me that her best friend, she's like, do you know what time so-and-so goes to bed? 8.30. That's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you go to bed at like 10, 30, 11. Uh, she told me when she was seven, she's like, I think I'm a night owl. I'm like, okay, well, it's genetic. Um, can't fight nature. So um so, yeah, but I think I was like, well, I mean, it must be working for her, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, it's not even dark out. I'm like, I know, I know. Freaks, <laughs> okay, they're freaks. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so great advice. Um, I was looking, this is a, one of those listicles from one of those clickbaity websites. I will give full credit. It's on popsugar.com. The... Uh, title of this listicle is Teach Your Tweens About Sex with These 10 Helpful Books. Uh, it was compiled by Sydney Ellis, as her name, June of 2021. I wanted to go through some of these and see if you were familiar with any. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to be clear, folks, we're not necessarily recommending. I haven't read most of these. So, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, let's see. So, the book Consent, The New mm-hmm. Rules of Sex Education by Jennifer Lang, MD. Are you familiar with that? Um. You know, I was thinking, I don't think that's the same book I was thinking of that's called Consent. I think it mm. might be different. But mm. um, yeah. Okay. This one says. Uh, Is it for particular ages? Is that one for particular ages? This one saying? says Every Teen's Guide to Healthy Sexual Relationships. Okay. All right. 
We have the Consent Academy up here in Seattle, and they have a wonderful book on consent. Okay. Ooh, do I have this one? No, I don't. I want this one. It's Perfectly Normal. Changing uh-huh. Bodies. Yes, oh. Perfectly Normal by Robbie Harris or Robbie Harris. Yeah. Uh, they actually have three different books, four to seven, seven to 10, and 10 and up. And um, they're not perfect, you know, like probably no book is. Mm-hmm. Um I think they they miss a couple of things, but for the most part, they are pretty solid and show diversity, show um, diverse ways of being in your body and and very age appropriate for that stage and phase and what kids are interested in. Super fun, colorful pictures. They're eight and a half by 11 size. Um, So yeah, they're pretty solid books. Hmm. I usually recommend them. So the last one that you said that you like, um, it's called It's Perfectly Normal, Changing Bodies, Growing Up, Sex, Gender, and Sexual Health by Roby Harris and Michael Emberley. And you said there's three different ones in different age groups. Yeah, I'm, It's So Amazing is 7 to 10. And uh, It's Not the Stork is 4 to 7. Nice. Okay, cool. Planned Parenthood apparently has one. Uh, it's called In Case You're Curious, Questions About Sex from Young People with Answers from the Experts. I bet that's fabulous. Everything on their website I, for kids and teens, is, I think is super good. Mm, good. Okay, good. So hopefully those are some things folks can go look up. So moving on from that. So I love that so far you said that you were raised in a Swedish American household. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then you mentioned having a family member who went to France. Yeah. Was it your daughter, you said? Uh-huh. Your daughter went to family. France. Yeah, for 11. Okay. So I'm looking at this article by uh, Bonnie Ruff on theatlantic.com. How the Dutch do sex ed. Mm-hmm. In the Netherlands, one of the world's most gender equal countries, kids learn about sex and bodies starting at age four. Mm-hmm. I actually have all of the Dutch curriculum here. I sent away for the Dutch uh, curriculum, sexual health curriculum. So I have that they're thought of as having the best sex education in the world. Wow. So this article, okay, I'm going to read from it. Research shows that starting sex ed early can help prevent unwanted pregnancies and even sexual abuse later down the road. For the U.S., where talking about human sexuality, particularly with kids, is still in many ways taboo, the Netherlands provides a useful reminder of how robust sex education and a comfort with seeing and speaking about sex and bodies can play major dividends. There's a fabulous book called Not Under My Roof by Amy Shallett, S-C-H-A-L-E-T. This would be a book for parents. She uh, grew up in Holland and in the Netherlands and then came to the U.S. to do her studies. And she was so taken aback by how teens in the U.S., were in relationship to their bodies and sexuality and of their parents, that she decided to do a qualitative research study where, which is basically based in interviews, where she interviewed families, kids and parents mm-hmm. in two towns in the Netherlands and then two towns in the U.S., one in Southern Washington and mm-hmm. one in Southern California, and then did a basic comparison 
of how were kids in relationship to their own bodies, their own sexuality, and in relationship to their parents around sexuality in the two countries. And it's a fascinating book. So if you want something Hmm. that will really show you, demonstrate to you how raising kids with sexual health information in a safe environment where they can tell you things, Mm -hmm. um, the metrics are completely different. Kids tell their parents, they ask their parents what they think, you know, being sexually ready is. They're, they're having their first sexual experiences in their mm. home or in their Versus cars. Home. I had a lot of cars and parks. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Southern California. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, exactly. The early 2000s definitely yeah. had abstinence education, so they call it. Um, yeah. And then I, I live 10 miles from Southern Washington now. So (laughs) I'm thinking of the cultures. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And what is the name, the author again of that book? Her name is Amy Shallett, S-C-H-A-L-E-T. And the book is called Not Under My Roof. Okay. Okay. So, oh my God. So I want to read a few more responses from some of my online folks. Uh, I read you react again. Um, so the question was, what do you wish your parents had done differently? Someone says, I wish my father didn't treat me like an extension of himself. Ooh, yeah. there's that entitlement we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Maybe personal yeah. trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone says to huh, not use me as a pawn in their divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's a whole other barrel of Uh monkeys someone Uh says i wish they had not forced church down my throat yeah someone Uh says i wish they had not smacked my face legs bum and head as punishment Uh Uh, someone says i wish they helped me focus more heavily on my natural strengths Uh i wish they had not told me that my hobbies and interests were stupid Oh man, yeah. yeah. Someone says, My mom just gave me books instead of actually having conversations with me. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's really typical. Yeah. Here you go. Here, read this. Read these. Any questions, Amy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they won't. Yeah, no. Uh, text me. Um, okay. Someone says, I wish they had taught me about confidence and self care. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Boy, that would be so helpful if more parents did that. Mm-hmm. Someone says, I wished I wish they had taken me to a therapist when I had my first panic attack at 10 years old. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah important. And someone says, I wish my parents had not shamed me for my feelings. Mm. Yeah. 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 You know, the one on confidence and self-care, it just made me think that it probably uh, does not feel intuitive to most people who are raised in America to think of providing age-appropriate sexual health information to children as being something that helps them grow in confidence and ability to care for themselves, and yet it really does. Mm -hmm. Um, It helps them see their bodies as valuable, see their thoughts and feelings as valuable, helps them know how to care for themselves and why that's important, helps them understand pleasure and why that's important, helps them learn how to discern um, someone's intents and, um, Mm -hmm. and how they're being treated and to 
be mindful of that as well as being mindful of how they're treating others. It just helps them grow in so many areas that really ends up resulting in confidence and an ability to care for oneself because they value themselves more and they often value others more too. Mm -hmm. So somebody had said um, something to the effect that they didn't know anything when they got, when they became sexually involved. Well, that right there can tell us something about how not providing sexual health information actually sets kids up for experiences that they might not want. Mm -hmm. You know, they can be exploited. um, They can end up uh, involved in something or with somebody that they wouldn't otherwise, if they had more information to discern. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's kind of like throwing our kids out to the wolves to not provide them with good sex education and help them see why they're, you know, part of why they're so valuable. Mm -hmm. Yep. I hear that. uh, And I see that and I experience that. (laughs) So Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, thank you so much for being here. I have one more question before we go. Um, I ask every guest this, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Well, I, I think people's experience of pleasure, connection and pleasure, however they define that. And, you know, not everybody is, is sexual, but I think most people seek connection and they seek pleasure in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the more you know yourself and the more you validate your right to know yourself and your right to pleasure and connection will help you then craft situations, whether with yourself or someone else, that are more delightful and satisfying for you because it will come more from your awareness of yourself. So I think, again, that kind of begs the question of understanding our sexuality and understanding our bodies and seeing them as good no matter you know what the our particular consumer culture tells us Mm -hmm. Um, the more that we have that kind of confidence and belief in uh, our ability to craft those things, the more, more likely we're going to have the kinds of experiences that we want to have. And I also think the more that we will be able to sort of, you know, when we do have an experience, we don't want to go to look at it and go, Oh, Mm -hmm. hmm, what can I learn from that? Mm -hmm. Hmm, I think I want to do this next time. And we don't necessarily shame ourselves. Mm -hmm. We just go, Oh yeah, that's part of learning. I do that in every area of my life, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. Great reminders. Giving ourselves some of that will be good. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Tina. Look her up on drtinashameless.com. Also on Instagram at drtinashameless. And you manage the NW Institute on Intimacy. You can find them on Instagram. The book is Shameless Parenting, right? Yes. Shameless Parenting, everything you everything you need to raise shame-free, confident kids and heal your shame too. It's got a very long subtitle. Beautiful. <laughs> very important. Thank you so much, Dr. Tina. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me out. Yeah. See you on the internet and... Uh, maybe collaborate with you again sometime because this was fun. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Really great. Until next time. Lots of us know to grab a towel when we're on our period for period sex, but what if you could just get the layer? Try getthelayer.com. 
because it's not just a sex blanket. It's great for not ruining sheets, bedding, furniture, whether you're on your period, whether you're a squirter, whether you're just trying to be polite. It's black, it's discreet. You can get 10% off when you get thelayer.com and use the code L-E-L-L-E, all caps, my name. Try it out. Let me know how you like it. It is my travel companion. Get the layer.com.